We think that the solution to a problem is that either God has to change it or our mate has to change. And it makes us very passive uh. because we sit there and we pray for God to do something or for our mate to do something. And maybe what God is asking you to do is to do what is right in front of you <laughs> and to change the way that you are thinking and acting. That's Sheila Gregoire, and you'll hear more from her and her husband Keith on today's Focus on the Family about the importance of your thought life and how that affects your marriage. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, today uh, we're going to talk about how you can think your way to a better marriage. And uh, I'm sure we have skeptics already saying, how do you do that? I mean, there's so many external forces that uh, pressure you in different directions. But you know what? In Scripture, it says right there in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I think you could summarize that saying, the Lord is telling us there, think about these things, these positive things, because it changes your behavior. And that's what we want to talk about today, how you can think your way to a better marriage. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There's a, I'll just say, Jim, that sometimes I can dwell on the negative. That's and human. I, that's all of us. I, I just really am looking forward to this conversation. Uh, <laughs> Sheila Gregoire is the author of Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. And she and her husband, Keith, are with us. Uh, they've been married 24 years and live in Ontario, Canada. And Sheila is a very popular author and blogger and speaker. And Keith is a pediatrician. <laughs> That's great. Welcome, both of you, to Focus on the Family. Well, thank you. We're really excited to be here. It's great to be here. Okay, when you look at it, um, give us that big picture. How does how we think affect the way we act, the way we behave, the way we process life? I think that the actions that we take stem directly from our thoughts. And the problem is, I know for me, myself, when I went into marriage, I was thinking some really stupid things like without what? realizing it. Well, here's just one example. We're told growing up in the church, if you have a problem, you just need to lay it at Jesus' feet and let go of it because God is the father of the fatherless. He, he cares for the brokenhearted and he cries with you when you cry. And so just put those things at Jesus' feet. And so every time I got upset at Keith, I thought God was totally on my side because God <laughs> is there with the brokenhearted. <laughs> okay, wait a second. Isn't he on your side? No. <laughs> you know whose side he's on? He's on his side, which means that he's on both of our sides. He's on the side of the marriage. Uh, and so when I was upset, I was thinking, oh, God is totally sympathizing with me. He is totally on my side and he thinks my husband is awful just like I do. <laughs> and that is not a very helpful thought. All right, Keith, I'd like to bring you into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always say when we're speaking uh, with uh, Family Life Canada that we've been married for 24 years. We've been happily married for 19 years. And uh, it takes a while to, for people the penny to drop on that. But I think early on in our marriage, we had a lot of thoughts and a lot of patterns that were not helpful. We kind of say that we did it our way for the first five years, and we thought we'd do it God's way. And I think the big thing that changed is the idea that um, God is on the side of our marriage, not on the side of each of us. We, we fought, and like we, all, we still fight. But uh, early on, it was who's going to win rather than uh, what's the right thing, what's the thing that God's calling me to do in this situation. We call those disagreements. Yeah. <laughs> we, that's the Christian uh, version of that. Yeah, we don't call yeah, it sure. fighting. Uh, but let me let me ask you, you mentioned that first five years. Was there a moment in which it really dawned on you? Was there a particular disagreement that you were having that you kind of went, wow, what are we doing? We're tearing each other apart, and that's not honoring to the Lord. I know for me, 
it, it more or less completely had to do with sex. It really did. I mean, I had all these expectations going into marriage, and you certainly had them, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got married, and for me, it hurt. It was awkward. It was awful. And the more he wanted it, the more I thought, you just love me for what I can do for you. Okay, and now you're you just really you're hitting me. about 90% of people listening because <laughs> they've all struggled in this area, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, what? how did you begin to discuss it and not just irritate each other with the problem? Well, I think what happened was I, about four years in, I had this thought, which is if God created sex to be good and the whole world thinks that sex is good, then why in the world would I settle for less than God intended? And so I had spent all this time praying that Keith's sex drive would go away and that he would finally love me. And I realized maybe I should start praying about how sex can be good. And that changed everything for me. For me, it was very similar. We had these conflicts or disagreements, as you (laughs) said. And what would happen is we'd get into this destructive pattern where I would feel like my needs in the marriage weren't being met. And as a result, I disengage from Sheila. And of course, the more I did that, the more difficult it was for her to be in a situation where she felt that she could meet my needs. And so we had this downward spiral where each of us feeling hurt, each of us feeling like we had legitimate needs in the relationship that were not being met. Uh, And instead of building each other up, we were digging our heels in more and more. And the thing that happened to me is uh, one day when I was pouring out my heart to God, the way Sheila was talking about earlier, uh, God said uh, to me, that's great, Keith. I think that's, thanks for sharing all that with me. But what I really want to talk about is the verse that says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I want to talk about how you're living in disobedience to me mm. because you're not loving your wife as I love the church. Yeah. You're waiting for her to do something or change something or be something different before you love her. Right. And uh, this is really an issue of obedience. And I, uh, that was a real hard place for me to be at. Um, How did you walk away from that encounter with the Lord? Because mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is absolutely true mm-hmm. in that if we're just talking from the man's perspective for a minute, that's the equation that we run through our heads. Um, you know, this area is not being met. You then get resentful mm-hmm. and you don't warm up to your wife. You don't say things. You don't do things that actually help uh, create the environment to have that intimacy and then um, she's upset because you're not meeting my emotional needs. And she, mm-hmm. her prayer is, God, how come, how come you gave me this deadbeat husband who <laughs> never talks to me, who never puts his arm around me, who never says he loves me, and then just expects me to give over my body? Yeah, I think that the first thing I would say is I don't think it has to be this particular issue. I think that overall the pattern in, in marriages is often that we, we justify ourselves and we say that because I'm not getting such and such a need met, I don't have to meet that need. And I think that the Lord calls us to a sacrificial love in marriage. And I'll tell you honestly what happened to me in that situation is I said to God, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I appreciate there is that. no way in my strength that I can put my needs aside and and love selflessly. I just know in my heart that I can't do that without your help. Was there so that if, moment, if, though, that happened sometime later? Yeah, well, what I said was, I said, so if we're going to do this, God, because <laughs> I want to live in obedience to you. So now I, you're brokering a deal with God. Yeah, well, not brokering, <laughs> but I'm saying if we're going to do this, God, because I do want to live in obedience to you, then you know, you're going to need to be there with me, and you're going to need to help, uh, and I'm going to need your spirit. Mm. And I guess I would say that you know, God's been faithful in that uh, he's helped me to learn to love my wife, because I still don't 
love her as much as I should or as well as I should. But he's helped me to grow in that every year. And the wonderful thing was that while God was dealing with me and my issue of disobedience, not loving my wife, as Sheila already said, he was already in her heart shaping her and changing her and making us both grow together. And so what happened after that was we got into the pattern where when we put our mate's need ahead of our own, uh, then what that person then felt more empowered to help us with our needs. Huh. And so we have a spiral that goes upward and builds us closer. Oh, that's good. And, and we're talking about nine different thoughts that uh, are helpful in a marriage to think your way into a better marriage. And this is only one of them. And so for folks who are going, okay, yeah, we know the physical intimacy issue. We got mm-hmm. that. What are a couple of others? I think all of them, though, do relate to this one point, which is that often, especially Christians, we think that the solution to a problem is that either God has to change it or our mate has to change. And it makes us very passive Uh. because we sit there and we pray for God to do something or for our mate to do something. And maybe what God is asking you to do is to do what is right in front of you and to change the way that you are thinking and acting. And so it's all more of difficult thoughts, to do that, though. Yeah, because then we might actually be responsible for something. And who well, wants that? Seriously, though, you look at the culture that we're all in. It is a me-centric mm-hmm. life that we live. Mm-hmm. We're selfish people by nature. It's, I'm sure, the sin aspect of living in this world. So you have to fight that, correct? I mean, how do you... How do you do this practically when you've got all this inside of you saying, me, 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 Mm -hmm. it's about me? Where do you find the strength to do that? You understand that your life is not about you. It's about God. And that means that every day you need to be in submission to him. And that's not an easy thing. And that's why the first four thoughts in my book are all about changing you and your heart before we even get to addressing the real conflicts in marriage. Um, but I like the one that you were talking about right as you, as you opened this segment about that verse in Philippians, to think about the good stuff. You know, it isn't that hard. People just think about the good stuff. And that's one of the things that I want women especially to understand is that your spouse cannot tick you off. Your spouse does not have that power. They're saying that's not even true. He ticks me off every day. (laughs) Your spouse does not have the power to make you angry or to tick you off. You give them that power. That's interesting. There's a distinction there. Explain that because you are right on the mark. Mm -hmm. They can't. They can behave, but you're the (laughs) one choosing to be ticked off at the behavior. Exactly. And if you want to stop being ticked off at your spouse, there's certain things you can do. Um, We tend to notice the things that we are thinking about. It's called confirmation bias. That's what scientists call it. But for instance, full moons. Okay, when there's a full moon, we expect people to act weirder. And so when we see people acting weird and we look up and there's a full moon, we say, there, you see? (laughs) But when we look up and there's no full moon, it doesn't register. And so in our marriages, I think we're looking for that full moon. Like we're expecting our husband to do something wrong. And every time he does it, we notice it. And yet, if you were to retrain your brain to look for the good things and start speaking them out loud, the interesting thing is that you would start thinking those things about your husband. Well, it's also uh, leaning into this idea of expectations, though, too, that a person has a certain expectation of what the spouse is going to provide. And it can be in all areas. I mean, it doesn't have to be physical. But So you have this expectation. When those expectations aren't met, then you're upset. So how do you control that expectation bias? I don't know that that's an easy thing to do, except to just simply challenge yourself this way. Every day, look for two things that you can thank your spouse for or say something nice about. 
So okay. it keeps you on the positive track. Exactly, because when you are looking for those things, that's what you're going to think about. And it changes the way that you think about your spouse. And you know what? If they're doing something really bad, like watching porn or refusing to get a job or something, yes, you need to deal with those things. But don't deal with them until you have changed the dynamic yourself and you're noticing the good stuff so that you can build them up, huh. get your own heart right. And then yes, of course, we're going to deal with those big things, but work on this first. I, it, it's well said. I think emotionally it's hard to be in the moment and to pull back. And that's where you need that God encounter like you had, mm. Keith. And how does a person with all those layers of emotion, I mean, you're in the thick of it and you say, okay, I heard Sheila on Focus on the Family <laughs> say, think about good things. But he's really making me mad right now. <laughs> um, ha ha what kind of trigger word did you use something like that to say, okay, I'm not going to think negatively about Keith. I'm going to pull back and think those two positive thoughts right now, <laughs> even though you want to wring his neck maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's training your brain. You can train your brain. Um, here's just a little example. Every time you hear an ambulance siren, that can be your signal. Okay, today I'm going to pray for strength for my husband, or I'm going to pray a blessing on my husband. When I'm at a stop sign, <laughs> I'm going to pray for something specific. But you can put little things in your day that trigger you. Okay, I'm going to pray blessing on my spouse. And you know, it's interesting. Keith and I were speaking at a marriage conference last weekend, and we started debating this question. We're always talking about how marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Marriage is just so hard. And I don't think it actually is for us right now. Like all this stuff about saying nice things to each other, we do that naturally now. So you've groomed yourself to do this. Exactly, but it wasn't natural at the beginning. And so at the beginning, yes, you're gonna have to say, okay, I have to think about two things and it's hard. <laughs> but if you do that for long enough, it just becomes natural and it's actually really fun. Hey, in the book, you talk about how um, culture kind of twists us into believing I deserve happiness. Mm -hmm. um, and then we kind of put that Christian spin on it, you called it. Uh, uh, tell us more about that. What do you mean? And I think I get it, but how does culture, I guess, warp our, even our Christian application? One of the big lies that we believe, I think, is that God has chosen one specific person for us to marry. That person is our soulmate. They complete us. They are God's will for us. They'll and never that, irritate us. And because, <laughs> yes, because they are God's will, that life is just going to be so lovely. And then when things don't work well, we figure we just married the wrong person right. and that we weren't in God's will. But that is powerful, though, because here you are, the newlywed couple. You're thinking that is the foundation. Mm -hmm. our, our happiness is going to be the foundation of our marriage. What replaces that foundation? Running after Jesus, saying we are going to run after Jesus together. And interestingly, when you do that, you get happy. Right. It's not that happiness is impossible at all. It's just happiness is something which you'll never find if you're aiming for it. Because if I'm always saying, is Keith making me happy? then I'm always going to be noticing all the ways that he's not. Mm. Whereas if you can say, you know, how can we run after Jesus together? How can I encourage what God is doing in his life? How can I support him? And how can I pray for him? And when you start to ask those questions, it's an act on those thoughts. It's amazing how happy your marriage actually gets. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the person that struggles in this area. Um, sometimes you can say, oh, that person's optimistic, or they always see the cup half full. Mm -hmm. Speak to that person that sees life a little more, um, I don't know, sarcastically, a little more 
less optimistic? How, how can they find the joy of the Lord where it goes deep into their soul, where other things around them won't affect them the way it has perhaps in the past? When Keith was in medical school, he got into a real funk. He was just, school was hard. He wasn't sure he even wanted to be a doctor. And he just got so negative about life. And this is one of the times that God used me to talk to him. Although I don't think God taught me how to be gentle yet. So I, I, I didn't <laughs> excel in the gentleness part. But I told him that you have so much to be grateful for. And you need to start thinking specifically about things that you can thank God for on a daily basis. And I think that really changed things for you. Absolutely. I mean, also, I was totally sleep deprived at the time, too, because medical school is very <laughs> yeah, grueling. That's probably true. <laughs> but yeah, I, had a, I was in a very dark place um, at that point. And I, although a Christian, I was feeling very, very um, pessimistic and not having a lot of hope for the future. And, uh, and Sheila's right. She was very blunt, <laughs> but she was right. And so I listened and, and I consciously made a list. Every morning I got up and I thanked God for 10 things that I was grateful for in my life. Uh, and it completely revolutionized. I mean, the concept is called cognitive behavioral therapy, where you, it's well known in science that if you change the way you think, you will change the way you react in situations and you will you know, improve your relationships and all the other things in your life around you. You know, Keith, the, the difference, though, in what I hear you saying, even in that, that funk that you were in, that cloudy space, having everything going on in your life and all the pressure and all that, when she spoke it to you, you were able to respond. Why did you respond favorably to the critical, constructive <laughs> comment that Sheila was providing you? I think a lot of times people get defensive. Uh, we hear our spouse saying something to us and we get our back up and we, we instantly go into defense mode. And I think that we need to remember that God has put this person in your life for a reason. Uh, <laughs> it's not know, the reason you and the thought. And <laughs> the reason is not to torment you and to cause you heartache. The reason is to shape you and mm -hmm. to make you more Christ-like. And uh, we always say that, uh, you know, your mate is a gift from God. And I've always wanted to be open to listening to what God is trying to say through my spouse. Yeah. You talk in your book about the distinction between happiness, uh, joy, contentment. Um, tell us about that, because a lot of people will blend that. I tend to think of joy as something deeper and mm -hmm. happiness as something more superficial. Mm -hmm. um, tell me what you think about the distinction between joy, happiness, and contentment. I like to say that joy looks up. Joy sees God, and joy is like what C.S. Lewis called that glimpse of heaven when you feel like you're, you're in sync with God and he's moving and, and you can feel him and it's just amazing. <laughs> contentment then looks inward and it says, okay, because I have joy, because I know God, I really am at peace and I can handle whatever comes. But happiness looks outward and happiness is really about how we see our, our circumstances. And the issue to me is that you can't truly find happiness unless you have that joy and contentment first. When you know God, when you can feel him working in you, when you're um, part of what he's doing in, the, in this world, and then you get that kind of contentment, that inner peace, it's not so hard to find happiness in your circumstances. Mm -hmm. But when you look into your circumstances first, you're always going to be miserable because our circumstances this is a fallen world. It is not always a great place. Well, and someone hearing this might be thinking, okay, you're a pediatrician, Keith, and you're a writer and blogger, and you're successful. You have uh, two 
wonderful daughters, one just married, things are going well in your life. But that wasn't always the case. You had the loss of a son. We did. You had that dark spot, and you had to grapple with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell me how this played out in your marriage, the loss of your son, and describe what happened. When we were pregnant with our second child, um, I think I was around 18 weeks pregnant. We had the ultrasound. And what they told us was that our son had a really serious heart defect, which likely would not cause me to miscarry. Because while he was inside me, he was fine. But as soon as he was born, he was going to need a whole series of surgeries that wouldn't necessarily save his life. They would just prolong his death. Hmm. And so... For the next 20-odd weeks of pregnancy, we were just on tenderhooks the whole time. We, we were thinking, okay, what if this happens? What decision are we going to make about a heart transplant? Or are we going to do this operation or are we not? And it was torture. Yeah. It was awful. And um, But when Christopher was born, you know, we got to hold him and we got to bond with him and the decisions weren't as hard as we thought they were going to be because God really made everything very clear. Um, And then we did have surgery at three weeks and then he passed away five days later from complications. Mm. And there was a doctor who told us afterwards that I think you should know that 50% of couples divorce in a year after something like this, which I thought was not the most helpful thing to say at that Uh, point in time. (laughs) Um, Keith and I had gone through all this stuff earlier in our marriage. You know, this was at about year five, and our difficult years really were two and three. Mm -hmm. And we just made the decision, there is no way that we're going to lose each other. We've just lost our son. We're not going to lose each other, too. Mm -hmm. And we clung to each other more than we ever had before. And even though it was really heartbreaking, there were a lot of God moments then. And yeah. God really showed up in a big way. Keith, how did you process that moment in your marriage with the death of your son? Of course, being a pediatrician. Well, it was very difficult, too, because, you know, I knew exactly when they were talking about what they were finding, the ultrasound and uh, all the tests. I knew exactly what those things meant. I knew exactly what the future held. And I knew how rough uh, a ro- the road ahead of us mm-hmm. was and how rough the road it was ahead of Christopher, too. Um, and the decisions are so tough because uh, there's so many different options and uh, none of them is guaranteed. And that's what I wrestle with mostly as well. What's the right thing to do and, and how dramatic and how drastic should we be in trying things? Um, it was really hard. And then trying to support Sheila through that when you don't even know how you're going to take your next breath. Mm-hmm. You're so overwhelmed with the sadness and sorrow of it. Um, I'd have to say that if that had happened to us in those first years of our marriage... When we were distant, I don't know what would have happened to us. Um, I just thank God that uh, it came after that season of difficulty where we had learned the skills. Yeah. We had started to put into practice the the mindset that we've been talking about this morning about you know clinging to each other, putting each other ahead of uh, yourself, you know, building into your relationship on a daily basis. And uh, we just use this as another way to cling to each other because no one else in the world understood what we were going through, yeah, except for my spouse. Well, and it's that beautiful scripture that talks about not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind uh, right there in Romans. And that's really what you're aiming at. Um, Keith and Sheila, we have uh, more to cover. We've only really hit a couple of the nine thoughts. 
Can we come back next time and highlight a couple of the others and talk more about the nine thoughts that can change your marriage? And uh, I think this has been terrific, and I'd like to keep going. Let's do it. That'd be wonderful. (laughs) I'd love to. And we do look forward to hearing more from you next time. I do hope you'll join us then. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. God has put this person in your life for a reason, and that is to shape you. I completely agree with that statement. God knew that putting two human beings together in marriage would be a way to refine each one. But I love that this couple understood that they needed to cling to each other in the tough times. And by changing their thought life, they managed to find joy and contentment in their marriage amidst the tragedy. I'm looking forward to hearing more of the nine thoughts that can change your marriage on tomorrow's program. I do hope you'll tune in for that. Our resource offering is a book by Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott titled 25 Ways to a Happier Marriage. It's a simple guide to helping couples find happiness in their marriage. And you can get that when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. And if you are struggling in your marriage, I want you to know we're here for you. Just get in touch with us. We have a great team of counselors and we have a range of ways that you can connect. You can give us a call on 031-716-3300 or connect with our counseling team through the counseling page on our website at safamily.co.za. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you to join us tomorrow for the conclusion of our program when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.